0: Welcome. Here at The Bridge Church, we exist to help you connect to God, grow with family, and serve our city. We hope today's message will allow you to grow deeper in your connection to God. Enjoy the message. We have been walking through the book of Revelation, and one of the things that we were able to note last week is that this book is written to a persecuted community, a community of people that just because they were worshiping the name of Jesus, they were being killed. Domitian was the emperor at the time. or He would be considered the Caesar, and he wanted Caesar to be worshiped as Lord. And yet these Christians were saying that Jesus is Lord. And so because they would not bow to Caesar, they were being killed. As we said last week, they had drills drilled into their heads. They were being torn apart by horses who they were strapped to. And they had lions eating them. These Christians needed hope. Hope to know that is there something beyond this life? And hope to know that how much strength does Domitian really have? Is he actually in control? Or is there someone else in control? So the beginning of that book, it says that it's a revelation of Jesus. That word, apokaloutos, it basically means like having a cloak over something and pulling it, something you could not see before. And so what this is saying is, Jesus wants to reintroduce himself and let you see a side of him that you could not see in the gospels, where you saw him as servant, you see him as savior. But now in the book of Revelation, we are seeing him as a judge, and we are seeing him as an everlasting king. And so as he reveals himself, Jesus wants these folks to have hope in a world beyond this world, in a king that is above all kings. And yet at the same time, Jesus, though he wants to reveal himself to the church, he is going to inform the church because Jesus not only wants to reveal himself to the church, he wants to reveal the church to itself. He wants the church to see who they really are. You see, the word of God, the Bible says, is like a mirror so that you can see who you really are. One pastor said that as I look around right now and as you look around You can see everything. You can see to your left. You can see to your right. You can turn around and see behind you. The only thing you can't see in this room is yourself. And someone, outside of a mirror, someone's got to tell you about you. You've got to allow mirrors in your life. And because we are flawed people, we are born with blinders that we see things, yes, and we can be intuitive about how we come across, but there are blinders that we don't have, that we have, that we don't see ourselves as who we truly are. And so what Jesus longs to do in this message, in this text, is he wants to communicate the church, though you are doing things well and the things you see about yourself are true, there's some things you need to know about yourself. And every believer needs those mirror-like friends, those people that can tell you about yourself, that you don't have to remix what they said to you or get upset, but you know that this person loves me enough to tell me the truth. Who do men say that I am? Jesus asked Peter. And we should be able to have relationships where we can ask that, what do people think about me? And you know what? He asked Peter after that, what do you think? Do you agree? Are those things true? We need a mirror. And Jesus, as a judge, is now speaking into the church. Revelation chapter 2. This is the imagery he gives us. Write in chapter 2, verse 1. Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus. Thus says the one who holds the seven stars in his hand and who walks among the seven golden lampstands. Now, understand this. In the book of Revelation, there will be seven churches that John will write to. John is on the island of Patmos. He has been sent there by Domitian, the the, uh, Caesar. And he has sent him there because he is refusing to worship the Caesar. He's worshiping the Christ. But while he's there, he catches a vision of Jesus, and Jesus causes him to write to these churches that are in Asia. As he writes to these seven churches, the beginning of this church really happened in the book of Acts, Acts chapter 18 and Acts chapter 19. This church started in the, in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was like a church planting machine. Uh, if we have a map, you can see that Asia had all these different churches there, Ephesus being the first one, and then Smyrna and Pergamum, Thyatira, all these different churches. These are the seven churches that you'll see in the book of Revelation. And so Ephesus was that beginning churches, church. Church. So he goes on in Revelation 2-1 and he says, "'Write to the angel of the church in Ephesus, "'thus says the one who holds the seven stars, "'who walks among the seven golden lampstands.'" In Revelation one twenty, Jesus unpacks what he means with the imagery of angels and lampstands. In one twenty, it says, "'The mystery of the seven stars "'you hold in my right, I hold in my right hand, "'and of the seven golden lampstands is this.'" the seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands are the seven churches. So he says, in Asia, there are no other churches. There are seven churches. So he says, in the cosmic realm, he uses a symbol of a lampstand. And in the temple, the lampstand was giving light into the entire space. And so he says, the church is a lamp. It is a light unto the world. And Jesus would say this, that that the church is like a city on the hill. And so if Asia is going to hear about the Lord, the church has to be a lampstand in order to bring light to that community. He says as well, the churches are the lampstand, but he says the stars, these are angels. Now, it's very interesting, uh, the... If you look in Revelation 2, 1, it says, write to this angel. And some authors and scholars would say that the angel is an actual angel. Wouldn't that be dope if Bridge Church has its own angel? That would be hot. I think our angel is Caribbean. I, pr- I promise. <laughs> but that would be amazing if we have an angel, right? And I would love that. And each church on in, in Flatbush has different angels, and everybody has different angels, right? But And that's amazing if that's the case. That's awesome. But... What, what most scholars would say is that because an angel is being written to, it's most likely speaking to the imagery of an angel being the primary communicator, i.e. leader of the church, that would be the pastor. And so the pastor would be this angel that he holds in his right hand, and the lampstand would be the churches that he, it says he walks amongst. So in the cosmic realm that Jesus is letting us into, he's saying, One, when it comes to the church, I walk amongst the church. Now, notice, I don't think he's just talking about Sunday. I believe he's saying that I, where two or three are gathered, I'm in the midst. I believe he walks amongst our community, ministering amongst our community, making sure our lampstand is in a position to burn brightly and to be a vision for people to see who Jesus is. He walks amongst them. And then he says, the pastor, I hold in my right hand. Now, I'm not going to go too deep into this. The reality is this, that, you know, we've never been in this church big on, like, honor me, call me James, call me Pastor James, call me Pastor Roberson, call me Bishop, call me something, except my name. I've never been big on that because you can call me something and still not honor me, praise God. So that doesn't really matter what you call me. But here's, here's what he's saying. In the cosmic realm, there is something special about the pastoral role. In the cosmic realm. And he says, I hold these beings. And, you know, sometimes if a church, things are getting out of hand, maybe it's because the pastor is getting out of his hand. You know, maybe it's because he's not operating in his presence in the same way he was. And so the reality, though, is this. When God calls a person to pastor, there is a cosmic difference that happens. I was talking to my friend and, um, several weeks ago, and he was like, you know, I'm already a pastor, but I think I want a church now. I was like, well, pastors have churches. So you can't be a mom without a baby. So you need to, if you're going to be sh- sheep, sh- shepherds have sheep, pastors have churches. But now you might be talking about the gifting of pastors. So you can have the gift of pastoring. But the office of pastor, he's telling us here, the office of pastor is a very unique role, one to be honored. And if this is true, that the office of pastor is one where Jesus is holding these unique people in his hand, then when the pastor is, and maybe some of you obviously are at this church, you guys may go to another church someday, so keep this in your mind, your pastor or me or our pastors, are imperfect people. And they will make mistakes. But God calls them to a unique position. And so what I want you to focus on is don't focus as much on the star. Focus on who's holding the star. Don't focus as much on the angel. Focus on who's holding the angel. And doesn't that make sense? I mean, if Kendrick Lamar was spitting some rhymes, would you focus on the mic or the MC? If Serena Williams was there playing a game, would you focus on the racket or would you focus on Serena? If Steph Curry is in the game and he's driving down the lane, do you focus on the ball or do you focus on the baller? What my point is, don't focus so much on me. Focus on who's holding me. So... The reality is that Jesus is letting us know what's happening in the cosmic realm. In Revelation 2.2, Jesus begins to speak into the church. That's that's why these moments are so important every Sunday. That's why us doing life together in community is so important. To know what is Jesus saying to our church? What is he communicating to us now? Where are we strong and where are we weak? And so he speaks and he says, I know your works. I know, y'all. I, I, I know that you labor and endure, that you can't tolerate evil people. You have tested those who call themselves apostles and are not and, 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 and are not. And you have found them to be liars. I know that you have persevered and endured hardships for the sake of my name and have not grown weary. Look what he's saying there. In the church at the time, mind you, in that entire continent, present-day Turkey of Asia, but present-day Turkey now, there are only seven churches. Seven churches in that entire region. So as the church gets raised up, there were also people who would infiltrate the church to teach things that were against what the word of God would promote. And so notice he says, you have tested and you have found these people to be liars. And he's talking about false apostles. Now, um, we don't have it up on the screen, but in Mark chapter 3, verse 14, Jesus calls the 12 apostles. But if you were to look in 1 Corinthians 15 and 7, you would see that there were many apostles And these were people that walked with Jesus and that would communicate who he is to the world. The the word in, in Greek is apostale, sent out one. And so these would be people who were communicating the word of God to people around the world. And so there were even Barnabas. Many of us don't know Barnabas, who is in the book of Acts. He was an apostle, but we don't talk about that side of him because he's known as an encourager. But apostles, there were many of them. And you could go on to Acts 14 and Acts 13, several and different apostles that were there. So these apostles could come to a community and say, I'm an apostle. And they weren't sure if you lined up with what the other apostles were teaching. So they would have to test them. They would have to search them and see what they believe. And so these false apostles would creep into the community. Oh, but know this. These false apostles, they were good. Because what they were teaching was a new teaching. It was cool. It captured the attention of the people. And they had a hard time finding out who they were because oftentimes we think the, the most knowledgeable people are the most spiritual ones. We think the ones with the greatest personalities are the ones that God is using the most. And so oftentimes these would be people who had had a new idea and they were very intellectual, very educated, lots of charisma. They could sneak into a community and everybody was like, yo, have you, have you, have you heard this guy? Have you heard this girl? Yo, they can break it down. But what they were breaking down was untrue. And so let me say this before we go into this next test. Someone can be sincere yet sincerely wrong. Okay, so don't look at their personality and don't get caught up in their intellect. Don't look at how they move the crowd. Look at how they stay in the text. Now, so he says in 2 Corinthians 11, For such people, look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 11, for such people are false apostles, deceitful workers, disguising themselves as apostles of Christ, okay? Verse 14, and no wonder, (laughs) now Paul says this and it's powerful. He says, of course they come in and they're impressing everyone because Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Verse 15, so it's no great surprise if his servants also disguise themselves as servants of righteousness. Uh So stop looking for the red tail and the horns, boo. Uh Huh? Huh? Uh -huh. Stop looking for that. Uh Look for the person that is convincing, but just a little off. You ever have somebody try to hustle you? And you, you know it, but it just sounds so good, and they're talking fast, and they want you to commit to something a little bit too early. Watch for that. And, and so in, in verse 6, um, he says you, have the, you hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, right? And so um, church fathers would say that the Nicolaitans comes from Acts chapter 6, where there was an actual deacon that was called Nicholas, and he started teaching dualism in the church. Now, dualism basically was this belief that um, your body was evil and had to do whatever it wanted to do and yet your mind could be pure. It was much like a a, a similar kind of Gnosticism. And so your mind was good, but your body just needed to do some stuff. So if your body is like, you know, if your body needs something, you gotta let it have whatever it wants. You know, so when you get hungry, you eat, right? I mean, come on, you eat, right? Okay? (laughs) And so when you, when you, when you, when you have desires, you, you feel me, you feel where I'm going. When you have desires, you got to feel those desires. Just like when you get hungry, praise God you eat. So when you, need, when you have sexual desires, what do you do? You need to feel that too, right? So that's what they would teach. Now, in the church, we probably have enough nuance now to know that that's something that's right or wrong. But because the culture has infiltrated the church so much, sometimes it's difficult for us to distinguish, not if we know it's right or wrong, whether we're just going to apply it or not. Because there's so much of that just saturating us. Just do what you want. Do what you feel. Um, It's been said that uh, musicians are the philosophers of our day. And so as they pump different ideas in us, sometimes you can have beliefs that have been saturated in your conscience that you've never verbalized. You you might have lyrics that you've put deep in your heart that you don't really know how much you're believing something. When I was growing up, the great philosopher Robert Kelly said it this way. (laughs) My mind. Hear the poet. <laughs> my mind is telling me no. But my body. Ah, uh, my body's telling me yes. I don't, I don't want to hurt nobody. But there's something that I must confess. I... Don't see nothing wrong with just a little bump and grind. Now, consider this, consider this, consider this. They will never play this in church, but the church will play this. Just understand what I'm trying to communicate to you. The church will never play this on Sunday. But the church will experience this on Monday. So know that our false apostles probably won't sneak in here, but they will sneak into your earbuds. And they will sneak, and they will might slowly sneak into your heart. And you say, no, I don't believe that. No, I don't believe that. But until someone says, and you see that person that just looks right. And they say, I don't see nothing wrong. Just a little. You got to, you, your, your body's hungry, right? Me too. Let's start a different Me Too movement, me and you. <laughs> Praise God. So, <laughs> so, let me just pause and, and say this, right? Um, false teachers aren't obvious. That is what the point he gets there. And he's saying this church is doing a good job of identifying false teachers because they are not obvious. They are distilling their community from false teaching. They are testing what they're saying and they are lining up with the word of God. My church, the church that that God, our lampstand, and if I'm the star, hear what God is telling us. Be very careful of persuasiveness. Be very careful of personality. Be very careful of knowledge. Because our church is susceptible. We are not unique. We are not special. We will have people creep in and don't think you're strong enough to not have your deep convictions diluted. Because Satan knows our weaknesses. And so Jesus in the heavenly realm says, y'all are doing a great job of pure teaching." As I walk amongst your lampstand, I see what you're doing when it comes to teaching, and you're doing a great job. But in verse 4, he says this, but I've got this against you. You have abandoned or forsaken. You left behind. You don't think about this. You don't consider this. This is not a priority for you anymore. You've abandoned the love you had at first. Some authors would say you've abandoned your first love. Remember then how far you have fallen. Repent and do the works you did at first. Otherwise, I'll come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. Unless you repent. Sit in that for a second feel the stinging conviction the church would have felt. Us? You see, this was the Ephesian church. This was the church that planted all the other churches. This was the mother church. This was the big dog. This was the church that he started off with because they had the most influence. It was a church that had had a lot of acclaim and fame. And Jesus says, there's something you're missing. And what you're missing Is love. In Matthew 22, the disciples are wondering, Jesus, there are 613 laws in the Old Testament, and we know that this is something that you call us to, to live obedient lives. And so, as we look at all these laws, Which one of them do we focus on? Maybe a different way to say it is teacher. Which commandment in the law is the greatest? What should I focus my attention on? What should be priority number one as I read the text? As I try to understand who God is, what could tell me the most about him? What could get behind the veil? What could help me see into your heart? And Jesus says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind. This is the greatest and most important command, and the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the law, all the other laws, And he says the prophets, so Micah and and Malachi, all the prophets, Haggai, all the prophets and the law hang off of these two commands. Love God and love people. That's priority number one, church, and you've been doing a great job at making sure that your doctrine is pure, but one thing you've lost And he says, if you look in verse uh, 5, or verse 4, or rather verse 5, he says, do the works you did at first. He, He says, I don't want you to actually do something new. Do what you started out doing. Now, oftentimes people wonder, is he talking about the vertical love that we have for God, or is he talking about the horizontal love for man? But interesting that when he says, do the works you did it first, it would help us to see that he's most likely talking about the horizontal love for man. If you were to look in the book of Acts, it's amazing, the beginning of the church. The church was so on fire for God. It doesn't say that they were giving to one another. You go back and look, Acts chapter two, verse 42 to 47. Go back and look. It doesn't say that they were just giving to one another. It says that they were selling their possessions and seeing what needs do we have in our community. And I am going to sacrifice that iPad. I'm going to sacrifice a couch. I'm going to sell things and give you the proceeds so that you can be all right. It says that they were going house to house, that they were sharing teaching, that they were always with one another. And it's not later to the book of Acts where you start to see all the problems. Why was it that they were loving so deeply and then something changes? And why is that the same way in our church, too? You walk into church, you're like, oh, I like this. Look at all these young people. Praise God. (laughs) I like the worship. (laughs) Thank you, God. Oh, that was funny. I like him. Or maybe not. I don't know. But anyway, they're like, yeah, I'm into this. Like, yeah, and you meet all the people, and you go to our backstage pass, and you meet people. You get involved in the community, and you start meeting people, and y'all texting each other, and you're on GroupMe, and you're on the Facebook, and you're on all these other things. You Snapchat, and Insta story, and you're doing all these stuff, and then somebody bothers you. And that person that you thought you were cool with is not what was advertised at first. And about 3 or 4 months in, you know um they talk about in relationships the honeymoon phase. Where when you meet that boo, you like it's incredible, they're incredible. <laughs> and I do marriage counseling and I'll be counseling them. I'm like tell me about your arguments it's like we don't argue. <laughs> it's like you don't argue? No, uh uh-uh. <laughs> Why? Because they special. <laughs> really? Okay. All right. And they're enchanted. And they're like, you're everything. I always thought. <laughs> and they're like, you complete me? Oh, no. Right? And the only person that can complete you is Jesus. Yes. But that was the only side note. That was how... That was just a commercial. That was free. That was free. That wasn't even part of the message. But it wears you down. And being patient, and let me just say this, being patient, being kind, hoping, bearing, enduring all things that it talks about in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. That is what wears you down. And notice what uh, John says. Go back to verse 5. He says, remember then how far, look at the word there, you've fallen. You see, sometimes when we're talking about somebody fell, right? We're talking about like sexual morality. They fell. Oh, my God. They fell into sin. <laughs> right? But he says... Look how far you've fallen. So, so understand this. Understand this. In God's economy, people can get exalted. When he talks about exalting a man or a woman, it means God will use a person to a greater degree for his glory. Not saying anyone has less potential. But what God does is that, you know, my my mom used to organize shelves. And what she would do is that she would put in this top shelf, you know, I don't even know, these are the things that take away the uh, staples. Okay, let's just use this as our prop. You know, you put the things in here that you use the most at the top. See, I'm going to keep coming back to this. Keep coming back. keep Because I can trust it. I can use it. It's always there. And then I will put something I don't use as much in the bottom shelf. Yeah. And I put it down here. And I use this every now and then. It's not. I don't need it as much. I don't use it as much. It's not as helpful, not as faithful. And what he says is, you have been doing a great job of, of, of testing people. You've been doing a great job of checking out people. But he says, you don't love. So you have fallen. I don't use you as much. And now in the economy of God, I have now put you on the bottom shelf. You see, when it comes to worth and value, we're all top shelf people. But when it comes to usefulness, there is a bottom shelf and a top shelf. And I think you want to be a top shelf believer. I think you want to be a tool in his shed. I think you want, when, when he says talk to that person, bless this person, I think you want him to think of you. He says, think about where you have fallen. Think about where you've gone. You're not lost. You're st- he still loves you. But he will not use an unloving Christian. It is an oxymoron. It does not make sense. How can you say you love God but not love your brother? Who is God? God is love. Who will he use? A loving man, a loving woman. It is not your education. It is not your theology. It is not where you're from. It's not how you look. It's none of those things. It is if you love. And so what does that tell us? In God's economy, we better be careful how you treat people. How you treat people. Because I want to be in that top shelf. I want to be used mightily. Now understand this. Love is exhausting. Oh, saints. (laughs) It's just exhausting. Jesus Christ was giving his life to people. And they killed him because they didn't understand him. And so we can't stop loving people when we feel misunderstood. In fact, you are in the very crux of love when you're being misunderstood. You're at the very heart of it. And you keep giving anyway. And you keep being patient anyway. And you keep caring anyway. And you keep praying anyway. Because you want to be a tool in his shed. You want to be a top shelf Christian. And so if you want to be on that top shelf, if you want to be useful in God's economy, then commit yourself to loving the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, loving your neighbor as yourself and sacrificing all of yourself for that cause. Know this, loving people will exhaust you, but it's what exalts you In God's economy. (laughs) Amen myself on that. (laughs) Loving people is what exhausts you, but it's also what exalts you. And you are studying and you are praying and you are fasting, praise God. But how do you treat people? That's what exalts you in God's economy. That's the thing that they were missing. So, John, then, he says and leaves them with this idea. He will go on. He says in verse 7, Let anyone who has ears to hear, listen to what the Spirit says to the churches. I want you to think just for a second what just happened. John was given a vision by Jesus. He wrote down that vision. He would have that letter sent out to this church. The church would then read it aloud to the community. And as he reads it aloud, the last thing he says to this church is, do you have ears to hear what you just heard? did you just hear what you just heard? He didn't say, do you have a mind to understand? He didn't say, do you have an education to discern? He didn't say, do you have a background to be able to meet the standards? He says, for those who have ears to hear. Church, are you listening? husband?" are you listening to your wife? Oftentimes, they'll say, how do you grow in your marriage? They'll say, listen to the Holy Spirit. And then one guy said, oftentimes the Holy Spirit sounds like my wife. <laughs> are you listening to your roommates, single? Are you listening? Because if you stiff-arm the closest people to you, then it's like walking out the door having never looked at the mirror. Some of y'all would never walk out the door without looking at the mirror because you care how you come across and how you look. If you would do that for your physical life, why not do that with your spiritual life? Church, you need a mirror. You need people you can trust because you can't see you. You need people who can see you. You need trusted believers. I'm not talking about grandma who thinks you're amazing. From the womb, you were amazing. I'm not talking about friends that say amen before you even tell them what happened. I'm talking about godly, objective people. When you come to the word of God, are you saying, God, change me? Get underneath my agenda. Are you willing to hear from the Lord what you've been doing well and what you need to change? If that's the case, if that's you, then you have ears to hear. But if you miss out on that, then you can sit under all the sermons in the world. You can read all the texts that you can read. You can go to all the conferences you want. But if you not have ears to hear, you will be blind when it comes to the work of God in your life. You will not fulfill the things God has for you. And God has a very unique purpose for you and he has a unique work for you. So love. Ask, have I been loving? What's something you would tell me? If you knew I wouldn't get upset, what's something you would tell me about me? Oh, do you have the courage to ask that question? If you knew I wouldn't wild out and wouldn't get offended, what would you tell me about me? Because I can't see me. What would you say? And would you take that information and consecrate it before the Lord and say, God, change me. Last thing. One author said, let your critics be your coaches. Because sometimes the person criticizing you that doesn't love you, even though they don't love you, doesn't mean what they're saying isn't true. Sometimes that person who, they they say things that are stinging and they hurt, but Once you get past all the way they said it and how they said it, and I can't believe all that, once you get through all that, check the accuracy of what they said. Don't leave out the door without looking in that mirror. Let them change you. Father, we ask that in this time that you would change us, make us look more like you, God. Father, we pray that as the Holy Spirit does his work in our midst. God, I pray that you would, even now, use this time. As we have a time in the back, God, I pray that our people are prayed over, change our hearts, don't give us a hard heart. Let us have a sensitive heart to be more like you. We hope you've been encouraged by this message. We'd love to hear how God used this sermon to speak to you. Please take a minute to email us your story Our email address is info at bridgechurchnyc.com. And you can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram by using at bridgechurchnyc or visit our website, bridgechurchnyc.com. Thanks again for listening to this week's message.